Hello, everyone, and welcome to See It or Shove It. I'm your host, Greg, and I'm here again this week to give you my thoughts on the latest movies playing in theaters and streaming on your TV. Also this week, I share the latest arrivals on streaming services and now streaming, and Be Kind Rewind looks at the film you voted for. For our featured movies this week, Ariel takes another voyage under the sea in the live-action version of The Little Mermaid. Julia Louis-Dreyfus overhears devastating news in You Hurt My Feelings. Gerard Butler tries to get to Kandahar, and Sebastian Maniscalco stars in About My Father. Let's get started. First up, a classic Disney tale becomes part of the live-action world. This is The Little Mermaid. This obsession with humans has to stop. I just want to know more about them. Your father wants you to stay as far away from the human world as possible. Can you help me? Ariel killed the prince yet? No. Kissed your bird brain. What a child. The sea witch? What has your father told you about me? You like to stir up trouble. I'll make you human for three days. Is that even possible? It's what I do. Staying mostly true to the original animated film, The Little Mermaid stars Halle Bailey and tells the tale of Ariel, daughter of King Triton, played by Oscar winner Javier Bardem. Ariel is naturally curious and longs for the ability to join the world on land. King Triton resists this because he believes humans are awful, horrible people. He's not that far off. One day, she ends up rescuing Prince Eric, played by Jonah Howard King, after he is a victim of a shipwreck. She falls instantly in love and makes a deal with the evil sea witch Ursula, played by two-time Oscar nominee Melissa McCarthy. If Ariel cannot get Prince Eric to give her true love's kiss in three days, she will be under Ursula's power forever. Can she get the kiss in time? When I saw the trailer for this, I thought it would be a see it, and I give this film a... See it! I really enjoyed this version of The Little Mermaid. I liked the first one, but I wasn't somebody who went gaga over it when it was released. And I may have seen it once or twice since. I believe 1989 was when it was released. So going into this, I knew it looked good, but I didn't really have a strong attachment to the original animated version. I had heard some rumblings about it on social media about the special effects and all that stuff, but you know what? (laughs) If people didn't have something to complain about, then what would they do with the rest of their days? Anyway, my biggest fear was going into it that the storyline would be padded with some boring backstory, but it really wasn't. I felt the storyline and the pacing were all good, and the performances were all admirable as well. Halle Bailey was wonderful as Ariel. Her singing voice is gorgeous, and Melissa McCarthy was very, very good as Ursula. The voice work of David Diggs, Aquafina, and Jacob Tremblay was terrific, especially David Diggs, who plays Sebastian in this version. He was hilarious. If there were any weak links in the cast, it would be Jonah Howard King, who plays Prince Eric, and Javier Bardem, who plays King Triton. The two of them were just uh, kind of blah and didn't really leave an impression on me. I actually enjoyed the above-water scenes more so than the underwater scenes. I did see this in Dolby 3D, so I was thinking that maybe the 3D was off a little bit, 
Plus, I wear eyeglasses to begin with, so 3D films are hit or miss with me. But some of the underwater scenes were a little bit disconcerting, but once my eyes adjusted, I got used to them. And they were pretty good. Um, and if you do have the opportunity to see this in Dolby, go see it. I have seen many, many, many movies in Dolby, and this makes great use out of the subwoofer in the seats, especially during the final battle with Ursula. My ass was rumbling. But overall, I think this is a wonderful addition to the live-action library that Disney seems to be going to every couple years. It was one of the better ones, and if you like The Little Mermaid and you're not a racist, I think you're going to like this one. Go see it. Next, a woman overhears her husband's true feelings about her latest book. This is You Hurt My Feelings. What kind of story were you thinking about, Hal? Something in a prison. What about a prison interests you? Jail. For sure. Happy anniversary. We're so lucky. Yeah. So, Elliot tells me you're a writer. And your last one, it should have done better. There's lots of new voices. Refugees, cancer, murder, abuse. I'm an old voice. You're the best voice. Maybe if Dad hadn't just been verbally abusive it would have been a bestseller don't say that starring 11-time emmy winner julia louis dreyfus as beth a novelist professor who is just finishing up her latest book married to her therapist husband don played by emmy winner tobias menzies beth is anxiously awaiting the final feedback of her book from her editor and don does what many husbands would do he reassures her that everything is fine one day, while out with her sister, Sarah, played by Michaela Watkins, Beth sees Don shopping with her brother-in-law, Mark, played by Arian Moyed. Deciding to sneak up on them as they get closer, Beth overhears Don telling Mark that her new book is awful and that he just can't get into it. This sends Beth into crisis mode, and now she has trouble trusting anything her husband tells her. Will they be able to reconcile, or is this break of trust too powerful to overcome? I give this film a see it. <laughs> Directed by Oscar nominee Nicole Holofsener, this movie is a hoot. It was very funny in several places, even though the devastation of the character would lead you to believe this would end up being some heavy drama. It wasn't. The humor was peppered throughout and was at times laugh out loud funny. Few people have the perfect comedic timing that Julia Louis-Dreyfus has, and this movie is a perfect vehicle to showcase that on the big screen. The rapport she has with each of the characters is so engaging, especially when she shares the screen with Michaela Watkins. The two of them are terrific, and I hope they star together in many more projects. The story itself is quite simple. Trust in a relationship has been broken, they're going to go through ups, they're going to go through some downs, but eventually you know they're going to make their way back to an understanding. But what I really enjoyed about this is that it analyzes all the little white lies that we tell people in our lives, you know, to friends, lovers, parents, siblings, all with the intent of being supportive and encouraging. It actually made me think of the times when I'm trying to be supportive, yet something stinks. And the words that I choose not to offend, but I'm also trying not to lie at the same time, it's a very delicate dance sometimes. But I don't like to lie to people, so this movie helped me analyze that. Beth and Don's son, Elliot, played by Owen Teague, 
is an aspiring writer himself, and his work is an opportunity for audiences to see Beth doing the exact thing that has sent her spiraling. At an hour and a half long, it had perfect pacing, and it just zipped right along to a satisfying conclusion. If you like small little independent comedies and dramas, I think you're really going to like this one. I know I did. I want to go see it again. Next, a CIA operative goes through a terrifying mission to escape danger. This is Kandahar. Starring Gerard Butler as Tom Harris, a CIA black ops agent who is in Iran under the guise of installing the internet, when in reality he is planting explosives that will level a nuclear power infrastructure in the country. With his mission finished, Tom needs to get home to see his daughter graduate, which coincidentally was the exact same reason his character in this year's plane movie had to get back home, by the way. Whatever. Before he can leave, though, Tom is found out and is now public enemy number one in Iran. He is joined by an Afghan translator named Mo, played by Navid Nagaban, and the two need to make it to safety in Kandahar in order to survive. When I saw the trailer for this, I thought it would be a shove-it, and I give this film a... Shove-it. Okay, Gerard Butler is turning into the new Liam Neeson. All of his movies are blending in with each other, and they seem to be exactly the same storyline. In this case, this one is very, very similar to Plain in that here we have a man who needs to get home to see his daughter graduate, but something happens that delays him, and then he goes through all kinds of hell in order to survive. If you've seen one, you've seen them all. This one was on the lower end of quality of his recent films. I found there to be long stretches of nothing happening where it was very boring and the action scenes were pretty standard. There's nothing about this that added anything to the genre or made me happy that I saw it. But there's also nothing in it that made me extremely pissed off that I wasted my time. It was just a very generic action movie. There are a lot of new movies this weekend for you to choose from. I wouldn't suggest this one. In fact, if you want to see a movie about two people trying to escape the Middle East, go see The Covenant if it's still playing. That's much better. Or watch Plane from earlier this year instead. At least that one was entertaining. Finally, a couple on the verge of engagement decides to bring their families together for a weekend. This is about my father. I was nervous to bring you here, but I didn't know you were going to spend the whole time embarrassing me. How could you say that to your father? Here we go again. Everything I'm doing for you that I've ever done for you is for your own good. Hey, Dad, check it out. I could die. I'm trying to make sure that you don't make an ass out of yourself by trying to be somebody you're not. Oh, my God. Oh, shit. Sebastian, your suit. It's Versace. Do you like it? No, you moron. It's not. Comedian Sebastian Maniscalco wrote this film that was inspired by his life. He plays Sebastian, a middle-aged man who feels he has finally met the love of his life, an artist named Ellie, played by Leslie Bibb. Wanting to propose to Ellie, Sebastian asks his father for his mother's ring to use for the proposal. 
His father, Salvo, played by two-time Oscar winner Robert De Niro, is a widowed hairdresser who prides himself on being an immigrant and a retired army serviceman. Planning on proposing to Ellie one weekend while away at her family's summer house, Sebastian is encouraged to bring Salvo with them so he can meet her family, including her parents, a senator named Tigger, played by Kim Cattrall, and country club owner Bill, played by David Rush. The film then takes us through the conflict between the haves and have-nots. Can they meet in the middle in order for Sebastian and Ellie to live happily ever after? When I saw the trailer for this, I thought it would be a see-it. And I give this film a... A mild see-it. I didn't enjoy this movie as much as I thought I would going into it. It had enough laughs to make me mildly recommend it, and there were some scenes that were just so cleverly written that it puts a smile on my face just thinking about them. But I did get a sense that, overall, this was a tad bit underdeveloped. Maniscalco is not a great actor, and that is especially evident when he's on screen with highly comedic talents like Robert De Niro and Kim Cattrall. He's much better in a stand-up act when he's alone on stage. In fact, he's hilarious in his stand-up act. And maybe that's the thing about this movie that bothered me because it's kind of a five-minute stand-up routine stretched out to an hour and a half. But like I said, it had many charming moments, and it's not as bad as the reviews are saying. It's enjoyable, it's not overly long, and there's more good than bad about it. So if you like quick little comedies like this, you might find this one enjoyable. That's it for this week's featured films. To recap, The Little Mermaid is in theaters now and is a see-it and is my co-pick of the week. You Hurt My Feelings is in theaters now and is a see-it, and that's my other co-pick of the week. Kandahar is in theaters now and is a shove-it, and About My Father is in theaters now and is a mild see-it. Now, onto my brief take of some additional movies I've seen in my segment, Quick Picks. The Starling Girl is about a fundamentalist Christian girl who has a crisis of faith when she meets a youth minister. It is quite a maddening story, which was well worth watching. It is playing in select theaters now and is a see-it. And two documentaries about beloved people are on streaming. Amazon Prime's Judy Bloom Forever gives some depth to the life of the beloved author, and it's an enjoyable look into her life and legacy and is a see-it. And on Apple TV+, Plus, still a Michael J. Fox movie showcases the famous television star's journey to fame, the highs and lows, and the devastating diagnosis of early Parkinson's that has the star refusing to slow down. It is enjoyable, but there are some risks the director takes in reenacting some of Fox's early years that took me out of the film temporarily. Regardless, it was enjoyable, and this one's a see it. Now it's time where I share where you can find some of the films released within the last few months, now available for home viewing. This is now streaming. Turns in Shazam! Fury of the Gods, a movie that, while it wasn't as clever as its predecessor, it certainly didn't deserve the hate it received when it was in theaters earlier this year. You can judge for yourself as it is streaming now on Max, formerly HBO Max, and you can hear my full review on episode 70. 
Another film that was better than the reviews said was Magic Mike's Last Dance. I found that to be enjoyable and funny with an incredibly hot scene between Channing Tatum and Salma Hayek. Whoa, hoo-hoo. You'll know which one I'm talking about when you watch it beginning Friday on Max. You can hear my full review on episode 60. Now it's time again for the segment where I look at films from the past. This is Be Kind, Rewind. Continuing on my series where I take the 52-week movie challenge, this week's topic was Best Cinematography Winner, and the choices were Gone with the Wind, Cabaret, and Saving Private Ryan. You voted, and the film you selected is the great, epic Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind has captured the imagination and acclaim of the entire world. The screen has never known a love story to compare with this, when Red Butler meets Scarlett O'Hara. I love you more than I've ever loved any woman. And I've waited longer for you than I've ever waited for any woman. Let me alone! Kiss me once. Can't we ever forget that day at Twelve Oaks? Do you think I could ever forget it? Have you forgotten it? Could you honestly say you don't love me? No, I I don't love you. It's a lie! Well, even if it is a lie, do you think I'd go off and leave Melanie and the baby? In this classic epic film, Directed by Victor Fleming, Gone with the Wind tells the story of Scarlett O'Hara, played by Vivian Lee. She is an entitled, spoiled, and stubborn daughter of a Georgia plantation owner. Living on the plantation, which is named Tara, Scarlett is always the belle of the ball who has an eye for Ashley Wilkes, played by Leslie Howard. The problem is, he intends to marry Scarlett's cousin Melanie, played by Olivia de Havilland. She is soon smitten with Rhett Butler, who was played by Clark Gable. Soon, war is declared, and while living in Atlanta, Scarlet sees the terrible effects war can have on the lives of the community. She reconnects with Rhett, and the two begin a rocky relationship while Scarlet tries to save the future of Tara. Filmed between January and July of 1939, Gone with the Wind faced a very turbulent production. Producer David O. Selznick insisted on casting Gable in the role of Rhett Butler, and he auditioned nearly 1,400 women for the part of Scarlet before settling on Vivian Lee. Fleming took over the production after original director George Cukor was fired. Racing against the clock for a December 1939 release, the film completed post-production just mere weeks prior in November. Upon its release, the film received praise, especially for its performances, yet it received more than its fair share of criticism for its 238-minute runtime, including its overture, intermission, and exit music. Y'all know if I was there in 1939, I would be bitching about it too. You know how I feel about long movies. The film received a total of 13 nominations at the 12th Academy Awards, winning eight including statues for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Actress, and Best Supporting Actress for Hattie McDaniel, who has the distinction of being the first black actor to win an Oscar. Another black actress would not win an Oscar until 51 years later when Whoopi Goldberg won for Ghost. The film has earned about $390 million from a handful of releases. However, adjusted to reflect inflation, it remains the highest-grossing film of all time with the equivalent adjustment of nearly $4.2 billion dollars and in 1989 became part of the United States National Film Registry, and is regarded as one of the greatest films of all time. 
Gone with the Wind is available to stream on Max, again, formerly HBO Max. Next week's Be Kind Rewind topic is a musical, and the choices are Chicago, Xanadu, or The Wiz. Come to my Instagram at theatershoveit to vote for which film I should focus on. And the post with the most likes will be next week's segment. So that's it for this episode of Theater Shove It. And now that my school year is over, I will have more time to watch many more TV series so I can bring some binge it or singe it's back to you. One programming note. This past weekend, I celebrated my 50th birthday. It gave me the idea to bring the celebration to see it or shove it by having a summer miniseries called 50 Years, 50 Movies, where I take you on a journey through the development of my cinematic taste. I will share with you my favorite films of each year I have been alive, but with a twist. Beginning with my earliest film memory, when I think I was about five years old, I will share which films were actually my favorite films at that age. Now, of course, for the first few years, I have to look back and name the ones that I enjoy today because I may have a good memory, but I don't have that good of a memory. But hearing what my favorite films were at a young age was kind of fun. It's really fun looking back at the release schedules and reminiscing about certain titles that today would not make anyone's best of list, much less mine, and also seeing when my taste began to become a bit more refined. So I look forward to sharing that journey with you this summer. Look for the first episode in the coming weeks. Thank you so much for joining me and supporting my podcast again this week. I appreciate the time you give me. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed this month. And while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV-loving friends and family. Don't forget, you can now drop me a line at seeitorshoveit at gmail.com and let me know if you have any ideas or suggestions or you just want to say hey. Follow me on Instagram and Letterboxd at seeitorshoveit and rate me wherever you get your podcasts. Come back next week to hear my thoughts on next week's new releases, and there are many, including the return of Miles Morales in... Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and Stephen King's The Boogeyman gets the big screen treatment. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great week. This episode of See It or Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida, and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved.